Hello. Love Talk Radio. archive listener that listens to this afterwards and really is able to contemplate it as many times as you want to, or perhaps you've turned into other a podcast format or on my webpage, or perhaps you're listening live today. And if you're listening live today, you can call 626-414-3510, 626-414-3510. Today is doing the program broadcasting from the coffee, bean, and tea leaves, a wonderful place with delicious, perfect teas that are great for your health, filled with all the green leaves that you could possibly want, or the white teas. Great environment, actually, along those lines of the teas, for people who want to lose weight or have some weight control. However, they do have all those delicious treats. You know that surrounding us every single moment of the day, within eight inches of us at any moment of the time of the day, we and our opulent food completely am able... Let me do that again. In a world that is opulent, our society... Opulence being defined as that food is available within eight inches of us at almost any given time of our day. There's never a moment where you can say, well, I'm going to wait until the food's not around me. Oh, post-holidays or, gee, we're having a party at work just this one time. There's never, ever a time where it's just that one time. It is always, forever there. Food is forever there. And if you're addicted to the food or the experience of it, let me tell you, you're going to be addicted to the calling of it, the lure of it. We were talking about the lure of other things on other shows, depression being one of them. Now we're talking about the lure of food. However, we're going to approach it in a different way. You can certainly go to all the other programs where I talked with Mary O'Malley, hypnotherapist, nutritionist, and alternative therapist, that talked about doing the virtual lap band through hypnotherapy, very powerful for some people. Then we talked to Fred Hahn, who has a wonderful program for quick and easy exercises that are very developmental towards the body, the muscles, and also helping with weight. And we're going to be talking with winner Fred, and she's a wonderful nutritionist that's also going to give us some insights into weight management and our relationship with food. But today, and we can go on and on, you can see all sorts of different programs on my site. Weight loss is a huge decision every day of a person's life. They're wondering, do I need to control what I eat? Am I eating too much? Am I going to be able to use this? Am I going to exercise today? Is this healthy for me? Oh, no, it's not. I'm going to compromise myself. Weight loss, weight control, weight management is a huge series of issues for us. So we have tools, and I tell you, we will always be talking about those tools. Those tools are available to us that will harness our willpower, our motivation, keep us tenacious, sustain us in the process of moving our weight into where we want it to be and then sustaining us, our commitment that will be tools that will help us with our eagerness and our calmness toward it. Yes, there are those tools related to food, related to what foods are great for you, what foods are not. We have those tools through nutrition. We have those tools through those supplements. I've talked about those. Exercise, sleep. You know, today we're not going to talk about those tools. They're there. They're all there. We have millions and millions of tools. 
That's why if you just grab hold of five tools in your life, chances are you're going to be able to move a lot closer to exactly what you want in terms of your weight loss, your weight control direction. However, here's another aspect for you to consider. It is the spiritual awareness that is associated to your relationship with you, the universe around you, and what it is you have every single day, which is the opportunity to make decisions on your behalf. The spiritual wellness, awareness can then alter the different packages as well. So think for a moment. What exactly do you think I mean by the word spiritual? Well, for some of you, it means being able to have a relationship with your unconscious, your subconscious, and your conscious processes that go on inside of you. It means having a very distinctive relationship with how your emotions, your body, and your mind coalesce and how you have that kind of internal dialogue with you as a a soul that you would relate to. That may be your point of view on being spiritual, and that's fine today. I'm just trying to help you define it. Spiritual for other people means having some sort of contact with some sort of divine power or powers, so that there are powers beyond you that would assist you, powers that exist outside of you that would assist you, that they would be benefactors of, being able to help you, they would be beneficial for you to reach out to. They would be on your side if you so chose to access them. That's another perspective on spirituality. Spirituality for some people merely means that you walk not so much in terms of the materialism of this world, but rather in trying to coalesce with nature and the well-being of the deeper and more meaningful aspects of life and not caught up in the materialistic aspects of life. Oh, that's a fine way of interpreting spiritualism as well. In a book that I have authored called Spiritual Gurus, Spiritual Paths, Your Choice, it is an opportunity to be able to really contemplate 14 different perspectives, some of which have a spiritual relationship with money, others with food, others with divinity, others with humanitarian aspects of spirituality, others with philosophy of life or politics of life, so that these different pathways help you be able to say, well, what's my pathway? What am I going to create or choose in terms of what I'm going to follow at this point in my life? In that book, you will also discover something that is an opportunity for you to not follow the gurus as they set themselves up for you to follow. As if one person or one group has the answers for you, but rather for you to be able to scrutinize yourself, and what is available for you to be able to create as a package that works for you in this phase of your life. So for you to be able to come up with the idea of what does spirituality mean for me, and then how does that interact with my choices of food, exercise, and well-being for my physical body, that is very much something you need to do a dance with. And in the process of doing that dance of trying to figure out what that means for you, you'll begin to come to terms with the deeper ideas or the depths inside of you in terms of who you want to create yourself to be in the next phase of your life. It does seem to be the indication with research as well as with these different schools that coalesce spirituality with weight management that once an individual moves into that deeper, soulful, reflective, meditative relationship with themselves and their identity of themselves as someone who's bigger than just the body that moves through the mechanics of everyday life, that they are able to start to feel that their choices have bigger significance and meaning, not in terms of the negative consequences of getting fat or skinny, but in terms of what it means to really cultivate who you are, 
suddenly you have significance and a much grander schedule schedule or, or setup because now in that grander scheme of things, it matters what choices you make. It matters for the depth of who you are. One way I kind of approach this with people is the following. Imagine for a moment that every cell in your body has your name etched on that cell. Every single cell in your body has your name inscribed in it. Now imagine that every cell in that body knows what their task is in order to be able to make your body function. And in order to be able to carry out their task, they would really prefer to have optimal circumstances. But they'll work with whatever they give, they're given, because our cells adapt. Okay, so these adaptive cells that have your, have your name inscribed in them also have a brain. They have a brain of sorts in terms of making decisions about what is or is not let in, how they're going to respond to the, respond to the circumstances they find themselves in in terms of the quantity of oxygen, nutrients, and ability to detoxify their circumstances. So they have to make decisions about that every second of their existence. They also have a lifespan. They're born, they're created, they mature, and they die. Every cell in your body goes through that lifespan. And every cell in their body actually has a shorter lifespan than you do. Now, imagine at any given moment you have 27 trillion cells that are coalescing inside this planet called you. 27 trillion cells is an estimate that seems to be pretty accurate or close enough for now. Think about it. 27 trillion cells are all dedicated to your well-being, housing your personality, your opportunities, your decisions, and also taking the input that you're giving it, the circumstances that you're allowing it to live. Now, think for a moment the depth of responsibility you have toward the well-being and life and existence and death of these 27 trillion cells, which all exist for your well-being, and yet they're all completely there waiting for you to give them whatever instructions and whatever environment that they can perform it. Give them an optimal environment, they're going to respond optimally. Give them not so good, they're going to still try to optimize the circumstances for you. That's how dedicated they are to your well-being. They may not always succeed in keeping you healthy and happy and alive, but they will optimize whatever circumstances you give them. Now, the depth of this kind of relationship with yourself is a spiritual recognition of sorts, although it doesn't necessarily look at the divine aspects of spirituality that we're accustomed to thinking about, but it does definitely pull us into a consciousness where we realize we're in a relationship with 27 trillion cells that are all there to serve us, and now what are our choices going to be? That consciousness alone has helped so many people be able to begin to realize that if I go to a place like the coffee, tea, coffee bean and tea leaf, I have a chance to eat my, drink my green tea without sugar that's naturally sweetened by the wonderful fruit leaves combined with that. And I can listen to the sounds and enjoy the environment and I can eat the healthy yogurt or perhaps a nice sandwich, but I don't have to go for the donuts. I don't have to go for the high-calorie pastries. Think about that. Every moment you're surrounded by food, like we are in this program right now while I'm broadcasting. While you're sitting there, there's food within inches of you. And now you get to decide, I get to optimize. I get to optimize my life, my body. I get to take care of and tend and nurture those 27 trillion cells that are all there to do the very best they can do for me. 
Now, this type of consciousness is not necessarily what we see in Buddhism or Christianity or Judaism or even in the Course in Miracles um, or yoga. However, it is more similar to what we understand from the different spiritual schools of Hinduism. Whereas Hinduism tends to think that you are a coalescence of spiritual presence inside of you and that you resonate with the spiritual presences outside of you because you are all part of a one unified big cosmos. We are not separate from our world. We are a part of our world and therefore any decision we make has tremendous impact on our world, the spiritual realm, and any responsiveness we have to all of those will have a big impact on our ability to engage in powerful, powerful capacities to change our world, to alter our world, to help other people, and to reach into the divine, the conscious of the divine, and become one with it. That's Hinduism. Oh, yes. Now, a lot of the different religious or spiritual perspectives that we can discuss today have similar components in it. But if you're thinking about Hinduism, how interesting it is that, for the most part, the Hindu faith, the divisions of the various approaches um, to practicing the Hindu perspectives, and there are many, generally promote um, vegetarian or vegan-type diets where there is no consumption or killing of any sort of life other than plants and that everything is deliciously prepared through the spices of life but not through the killing of life. And so it's an interesting recognition that they resonate with the spirituality of all living creatures as they define it, and then they also find that the utilization, cooked, prepared, raw use of plants is the primary way that they want to engage their body and to optimize their body. Their vegan practices are actually extremely associated to their work with different forms of yoga or different types of meditation or different types of works of random acts of kindness so that this is all part of them being very proactive about the well-being of their body and simultaneously about the well-being of the world around them and inside them. So does that perspective have something inside of it that helps you? Interesting. Let's move over to Buddhism. Buddhism has some interesting origins in Hinduism. We could go into understanding how Buddhism expresses itself in places like Korea, China, Japan, and also in India. It definitely expresses itself differently in the United States. One of the axioms or axiomatic statements of Buddhism is also about being able to take optimal care of your body so that the relationship with the meditative aspects of Buddhism, the orientation of being happy, content, helping others also has to do with not living in a relationship where you are excessively indulgent, nor do you become excessively oriented toward restricting yourself. Balance, the middle point, the acceptance of one thing or the other, the living in both without going to the extremes of either. So that Buddhism is about, in a sense, temperance, the ability to live in the middle comfortably and to take uh, to assess, actually, what's going on in the particular circumstances so that you can be centered inside what are your choices in terms of your own moderation. The spiritual aspect of Buddhism associated to eating that I think is really powerful is for individuals to recognize that they exist within the world, but they do not necessarily have to have the world be bombarding them. There is a way in which there is a 
kind of emotional removal of oneself from the influences, persuasiveness, lures, dominance, and demands of the outside world so that you can live within the inner consciousness to be making conscious decisions about what is optimal in terms of living in a moderate lifestyle so that the meditations, the consciousness, the attitude, the way of interacting self with outside world is filled with a dedication to calmness, kindness, compassion, and reasonableness. So consider if that is a spiritual path that helps you in terms of being able to move you into a space where you can harness the spirit or the resonance that you need in order to eat congruent with what you value. Let's move into the Christian schools um, of thought. There's so many, if I really don't mean to misrepresent anyone, I'm trying to represent a conglomerate, so I want you to think about your own spiritual um, path and associated to this. One of the things that Christ was extremely adamant about is that the laws of what you could eat or couldn't eat in the realm of Judaism, which had a lot to do, again, with health and welfare. It wasn't healthy to eat pork because the pork was not a protected, um, pig was not protected in terms of being healthy for the human being at that time, my understanding is. It, food combination in Judaism is, uh, in, in the most kosher sense, is interestingly actually advocated by many individuals now in the health or food industry, the nutrition industry, where you don't combine your milk with your meat. And now there is an entire series of um, eating recommendations and programs where you just eliminate having any sort of milk at all from your diet as if that's unnatural. But the idea also in other schools of thought of eating and dieting is that food combination means everything in terms of your digestion, the way you will be hungry or not hungry, the way you will put fat on or the way you metabolize that. It's interesting to me that in Judaism, I'm skipping to there first because Christianity kind of reacted to that, Judaism there was the idea of food combination that was really essential and also just prohibiting foods that were unhealthy for your body as a spiritual act of taking care of your body. It was part of the religious practice. It was part of the community practice associated to the sociology of that religious practice. Does that impact you? Is that part of your way of maneuvering through the land of plentiful food, of all sorts of things that are not healthy, into a land of something that really adheres, connects. Judaism is pro-meat in all sorts of different ways, shapes, and forms. That was a sustenance. There was no allegiance to being vegan or any vegetarian of any way, shape, or form at all. But there were still, nonetheless, restrictions of doing it in a very healthy way, including instructions as to how to prepare it. When we move into the Christian schools, Christ came aboard. He said, you know, I have come to make it so that you do not have to live by law. You can live by grace. And what does that mean for those of us that don't have a Christian background? Well, living by law meant adopting all of the restrictions of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious teachers, and having to try to conform to those rules. And those rules came from all sorts of different books, one of which was what we now call the Old Testament in the uh, Christian Judea society. Well, in the New Testament and all their rules, he said, you know, you no longer need to live by rules. You now can live by choice, by grace, 
by opportunity. So that the Christian mystical schools or the Christian schools is about being able to embrace that nothing's prohibited for you. Now it's all about making choices out of love for yourself, out of having deep, compassionate love for yourself to not, quote-unquote, sin against your body, to not sin against the body of others, not out of you will be condemned because that was taken care of, but out of love, out of a commitment to the well-being and knowing and recognizing the depth of being able to say to yourself, this is for the well-being of all. So would you, out of love, decide to be vegan because you love animals? You don't want to see them killed or slaughtered or farmed in the way that they are. That's That's a possible choice. Would you choose to eat in a certain way for yourself out of love differently than out of lust or hunger or must-have? Would that lust be different if it were about you gratifying yourself or making up for some trauma or hiding feelings of depression? Would that love be different if you were consciously saying, you know, I want to do the very best for all 27 billion, trillion cells in my body? Um, would the love be different if you said, I so love myself and I want to express that in my beauty, my health, my vigor, and my energy? So you have to come to terms with now that you have choice in the realms of thinking about the impact of Christianity on our society, now that there are choices as opposed to living by law, now that you have multiple choices to choose in front of you, opportunities all over the place, many of which are not good for your well-being, how will you in any given moment decide? Now, interesting, the choice is something that constitutionally we put in law in the United States. Freedom of will, freedom of choice, the right to be happy, the right to pursue your own point of view, your own religion, your own, your own life that that was part of our social, cultural mindset is that choice is imperative for a sense of being free. Now, though, with choice, you no longer have to live by the encumbrances of someone else's rules, but you now have to internally face your own sincere ability to be able to take care of yourself in a way that's conscientious and kind. Well, in light of that idea, Miriam Williams has written a book, A Course in Miracles and Weight Loss, and it's well worth reading. She takes you through a program of 21 days, and those 21 days are absolutely thoroughly self-observing and moving yourself into a relationship with your interior as well as your sense of divinity, and, of course, connecting it with how you choose food. She juxtaposed the idea that we often will choose food out of fear, grief, depression, anger, unresolved emotional state. And that if we were to steady ourselves in the consciousness of love, love both as an emotion and as a divine expression and divine relationship, as well as pragmatic uh, connection to decisions made, that if we were to inspire ourselves out of this state of love, we would move away from making choices that violated ourselves and we would not have to live in the constant strain of prohibiting ourselves or having to deny ourselves. Instead, we would walk in a much more gracious, graceful attitude towards selecting foods that were all about giving ourselves wonderful, wonderful love. Her course is well worth deciding 
about whether you want to engage in it, and definitely worth reading. Now, if you engage in the course, you're going to go through 21 days of extremely conscious awareness-building exercises that will help you be able to think about your spiritual perspectives in terms of the divine as well as your internal awareness. Great practice to take. Now, I wonder if you were to combine Miriam Williams' approach with yoga. And again, yoga in its origin in Hinduism is something that is all about being able to experience the musculature, the skeletal process of your body, being able to move in and out in a consciousness that helps you feel the impact of your own spirituality and be able to build a consciousness of your mind, body, soul, and emotion connection. And that is the primary experience that most people have when they practice yoga. You might want to go to my website, mindbodysculpting.com. Or is it bodymindsculpting.com? I mean, bodymindsculpting.com. Now, that's confusing. And you will see that there is a way of being able to truly come to terms with all these dimensions of eating, spirituality, and movement. And movement through yoga is definitely one that tries to harness those together. Now, not too long ago, about a year and a half ago, Janine Roth, I think that's how you say it, wrote a book named Women, Food, and God. And in her book, when she was on Oprah, so I'm sure you can access the interview on YouTube and through the Oprah channel own, um, Janine Roth does talk about the power of women being able to have a connection with the God experience, whatever that would be, and simultaneously be able to interchange that with the idea of food. Well worth reading. Again, it will build your awareness, and I would encourage you to create your own perspective and your own relationship out of what these women are, would propose for you. Another technique that is really worthwhile, which we have talked about on this program, is the use of hypnosis and hypnotherapy. And hypnosis and hypnotherapy have, again, the wonderful ability to harness your sense of the other powers that exist, other powers outside yourself and other powers inside your mind, your subconscious, your unconscious, your soul. Hypnosis has a way of also being able to harness those things from your past as well as being able to create powerful images of what you want to hold on to and create for your future. So that hypnosis not only can give you the suggestions to no longer want certain foods or to even be attracted to those foods and to be attracted to the foods you choose to be attracted to, giving you the power to follow your true decisions, but it also has the ability to integrate your ability to think about yourself as a human being of past, present, future, and be able to think about the powers that exist inside you to say yes or no to the foods that you would prefer to say to. Um, the, the experience of hypnosis is profound, and I'm not going to go into it today, but I'm just going to reference it because many of the people who do hypnotherapy with me have definite spiritual experiences. They will often wake up and say, wow, I had no idea. I've never experienced anything like it. And it does have a life-changing impact on you because you move into a domain inside yourself that you don't typically dwell in. Anytime you have an opportunity to raise your consciousness, to become more reflective and soulful, not in a self-centered way, not in a way where you become the narcissistic focus of your universe, but in a way that expresses and exudes compassion, love, consciousness, awareness, deliberation, making decisions, being wise, 
you will find that your relationship with your body, with the opportunities, the choices that you have towards your body, are going to be different. As if you can wake up and say, wow, I'm going to take this opportunity in this moment and it will optimize the next moment. Have you ever thought of having a relationship with those 27 trillion cells in your body and saying, okay, my mouth wants this, but that's only one region of my entire body. My mouth wants chew, it wants sweet, it wants salty, it wants um, liquid, it wants calories, it wants creamy, my mouth. But your mouth is only one portion of the entire you that you are. And if we extend your consciousness of who you are, from just your body into a spiritual consciousness, now you are huge beyond those 27 trillion cells. You'll have to think about whether that's pertinent to your point of view or not. But nonetheless, if you think about your mouth as only being one small part of who you are entirely, and that if only your mouth dictates to you how you're going to optimize the potential health of every cell in your body, or how your mouth is going to impact your sense of self-esteem or self-service, or how your mouth is going to impact your sense of energy and well-being, clarity of thinking, and guess what? Food affects all of those. If your mouth is going to dictate to you whether or not you'll sleep soundly or restlessly, or you'll tax your body and make it so your liver can't even detox, your gallbladder can't handle the fat, you know, think about it. Is your mouth really going to be the Hitler of your body? Or is your mouth one of every single portion of your body that needs to be consulted, sometimes indulged, but not necessarily given the reins of how you want to live your life? So now for a moment, just think of your mouth, how it loves the taste and the chews, the textures, so forth and so on, knowing that it has the job of desire to make sure you survive. It has the job of telling you what's good food for you to eat and what is not good food for you to eat. It has a very important job, but that doesn't mean you give it the top dog job. Well, I hope I've given you lots of food for thought. Life is actually complex and deliciously interesting as a consequence. And so is our relationship with our body and our society that is filled with opportunities for eating all sorts of good things. So now I'm going to stop this wonderful broadcasting in the coffee, bean, and tea leaf. And I'm going to enjoy my wonderful Moroccan mint, green tea, delicious, 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 and a few bites of a bran muffin. Uh, it's a little indulgent, but it's also healthy. Now, what are you going to choose for yourself? I wish you the very best. I look forward to hearing from you. Contact me, drcarolfrancis.com, drcarolfrancis at gmail.com. 310-543-1824. You can text or leave me a message, and you can always leave some sort of information on Facebook, Dr. Carol Francis Show, or Facebook, Dr. Carol Francis. Well, look forward to talking to you down the road. Let me know. What are your success stories? What's your relationship with your spiritual consciousness and weight management? Take care of yourself. Have a great day. <laughs> 